if you're going to call Jesus your Lord, then by very definition, the very definition of Lord, you have to do what he says. Plain and simple as that. I'm going to submit to you this morning that the reason you and I have problems and can't, can't face them is because we fail to do what the Lord says. Plain and simple as that. I mean, let's face it. Every one of us is going to experience troubles. If anybody here has never faced a trouble in their life, then um, you've been living in a bubble somewhere. You're, you're, you're not, uh, you can't relate to anybody in this room. Every single one of us has experienced troubles and will experience troubles. We will experience the floods. We will experience the storms in our lives. The question is this, is will you survive it? Will you come out on the other end of it? Will you make it through? Now, my Bible tells me that there is a way to survive the storms and the floods, the problems and the difficulties in this life. There is a way to survive. And so what I want to do is I'd like us to uh, take our Bibles, and uh, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 6. And um, as you know, we're talking about being radical disciples, radical followers of Christ. Now, can I just point something out before we go any further? In the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times. Did you know that? A lot of people don't, don't know that. The word Christian was not the first uh, title or the first uh, name given to those who followed Jesus. The word Christian was something that, that developed as time went by, but the original name for anybody who followed Christ was, was disciple. And in some ways, I wish that uh, that name would have stuck because here's the thing about the word disciple. It implies a relationship with, uh, implies a relationship of student with master, student with teacher, uh, pupil with teacher. We have come to the place in our lives where so many of us call ourselves Christians or say we were raised in a Christian home but really don't know what that means. Now, here's the thing. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, uh, if you're going to be a true disciple, then it means that you recognize him as your Lord, and that means that you do what he says. Plain and simple as that. To be a Christ follower means you do what he says. Now, my question this morning is this. Do you do what he says? If you want to survive the storms of life, Jesus tells us, then you and I need to do what he says. If you and I are going to survive the floods and the torrents and the problems and the struggles that keep coming our way, then you're going to have to learn how to do what Jesus says. Now, let's just be reminded quickly of what a disciple is. A disciple, very simply, is somebody who follows Jesus. Discipleship is that process of growing in the Lord Jesus Christ and, become, and being equipped by the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. Because here's the thing, you and I don't have that, that power or that strength in ourselves to follow Jesus. Inevitably, uh, or invariably, at some point in our life, we're going to want to just take our own path. We're going to do what we want to do. 
But to be a Christ follower means that you do what he says. So let's take a look at this first passage of Scripture here. And uh, Jesus says this. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? You might have caught that in that video clip we just showed. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Would you read that with me? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? No, just stop there for a moment. This is a, this is a real, uh, real conundrum for Christ. He can't get this. He didn't understand how anybody could call him Lord, Lord, but, but not do what he says. And then he goes on to say this. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words, for everyone who comes to me and hears my words, and read this part with me, and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. And so here's, here's the, the, the metaphor or the, or the picture that he gives us of those who follow his teaching and put them into practice and those who don't. So let's take a look at that next passage. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house. By the way, by the way what's a torrent? It's a flood, right? Heavy, heavy, uh, um, heavy floods of water. When that torrent struck that house, um, it could not shake it because it was well built. It was built upon a solid rock, which is Christ's teaching. Next verse. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Now here's the thing. If you want to survive the storms, the torrents, the floods of life, Jesus has given us a promise. And he's given us a warning about how to make it through. And so here's the thing. We, uh, we, if we want to be true, genuine disciples, then we are going to have to learn what it means to do what Jesus says. Our problem is, is that so often we come up with a way to, to get around that and we end up doing what we want to do. Well, let me tell you something. Anybody who does not do what Jesus wants them to do is not a genuine or an authentic disciple. Because by definition, a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. Now, we use the term Christian very loosely. In fact, we sometimes refer to America as a Christian nation, or sometimes refer to Canada as a Christian nation, or we refer to Ireland as a Christian nation. I could never understand that one, because as long as I can remember, uh, this so-called Christian country called Ireland was at war with itself. The Protestants the Protestant Christians versus the Roman Catholic Christians. If anything was, uh, was, was, was uh, more of an oxymoron, that, that would be it. That would be the most moronic thing of all. Because here are, are two groups of people claiming to follow Jesus, and yet they are at war with each other, which goes absolutely contrary to the teachings of Christ. And by the way, can I tell you this? It threw Ireland into a, a, a terrible financial crisis. And to this day, I believe that this is part of the reason why Ireland is one of those nations in Europe that's, well, uh, it's bankrupt. Now, let's back up for a moment. If you're calling yourself a Christian, uh, really, by definition, you're saying, I, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And if that's the case, that means that you are going to do what Jesus says. Now, 
If you're not doing what Jesus wants you to do, if you're choosing those areas in your life where, uh, you know, you're, you're, I'm going I'm to choose to follow Jesus here, but I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go too far this way. Uh, I'm, I'm going to choose what parts of Christianity I'm going to live out. And, you know, some parts are a little too radical, so I'm just going to just forget about that. I'll just avoid that part. There's a problem with that. First of all, uh, it's impossible then to call Jesus your Lord if you don't do what he says in every instance. The second problem is that it's not in your best interest to not do what Jesus says. It's in your best interest at all times, my friends, to do exactly as Jesus tells you to do. Now, uh, every one of us, every one of us at one time or another, uh, has faced a storm, is in the middle of a storm right now in your life, maybe your marriage, your family, at, at work. Um, the question is this, is how are you standing up? How are you, how, how's it going for you? Are you making it through? Jesus wants you to be a survivor. He wants you to make it through. Does anybody remember the flood? Was it 97? And at the end of it all, everybody had T-shirts that I survived the flood of 97. Uh, I was one of those that actually went uh, and did some sandbagging. It was a great experience. Got to rub shoulders with people I didn't even know, but we were all working toward the same cause. It was, uh, it was an exciting time. And, um, and then I could say with everybody, I survived the flood of 97. Uh, well, almost survived the flood of 97. You see, the, the church over on, on Elgin Avenue, um, when the water started backing up, that old building, uh, Carolyn, you remember that, uh, flooded terribly. And uh, being the son of a plumber, I thought, well, you know what, I can fix this thing. And so I got the jackhammer out, and I jackhammered a great big hole in the floor where the, where the, where the sewer line came into the church. And um, I got my great big soil pipe cutters. There's some of people know what that is. It's a, it's a very heavy tool. It would cut the, cut the piece of pipe out and then put in, in, into place what they call a backwater valve. Um, we, uh, we got that backwater valve in. We were able to fill it back in again. And uh, guess what? We never were flooded again. We absolutely solved the problem. That became a, a metaphor for me because here's the thing, folks. Uh, so many of us, we, we, we face the storm. We, we are, we're, we're half drowning. We're, we're in the midst of the you-know-what all around our ankles. Life's a wreck. We're in trouble. And, and it seems that every time the flood comes along, we find ourselves in the same mess. And Jesus comes along and says, when are you going to learn your lesson? When are you going to start doing things the right way? When are you going to change your plumbing system? When are you going to put the backwater valve in so you don't keep going through the same issue again and again and again? And some of us find ourselves in the same problems, facing the same garbage over and over again because we haven't learned our lesson yet. God wants you to survive that storm. And the only way that you're going to survive that storm is if you do it his way. And I'm going to tell you now, it's, abs- it's, it's a bylaw now. When you build a house, you've got to put in a backwater valve. That's, it's not an option. Because finally, builders have learned, plumbers have learned, that uh, 
it's the only way to protect your basement, especially if you're living near the river. Now, here's the thing. The only way you're going to protect your life, protect your family, your career, your marriage, is if you do things the way God tells you to do it. And the way that you're going to survive those storms in your life, my friends, is if you start doing what Jesus says for you to do. So back up one verse, if you, if you would, one slide. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. What is that foundation that Jesus is talking about? Very simply, it's his word, that's right. It's his teaching. Jesus says this, he says, build your house on my teaching, on what I tell you to do, and if you do that, all the storms that this world can conjure up cannot touch you, it cannot hurt you, cannot knock you down. But you've got to build your life on my teaching. You've got to build your life on that solid rock. And everyone who does it, is going to be saved. This is, listen, this is a promise. Now, when Jesse was little, he used to say to me, Dad, I love promises. And the reason is this, is that if, if we made this, this is a law in the Duncalf home, and that is when a, when a promise is made, it has to be kept. With, without exception, the promise has to be kept. And so if Gloria or I would make a promise to one of our kids, and they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that promise would be fulfilled. It was like a, it was like a check that could be cashed at any time. And he said, Dad, I, I love promises. I love promises too. You know what I love? I love the fact that, listen, I don't have to be afraid of the storms of life. I don't have to be afraid of the floods that come my way. Because I have a promise here that says, if I will build my life on Jesus' teachings, then I will be safe. My friends, the promise that Jesus has made to me, he's made to you as well. And I can tell you this morning, that if you will take this bold step and say, Jesus, I'm going to live my life upon the solid rock, then I can tell you that you're going to be able to face those storms when they come your way, and you're going to survive. It's going to be okay. And uh, you will have storms. Everybody has them. The Apostle Paul had them. He had lots of storms. He was, in fact, he seemed to be the, the epicenter of all the storms that ever happened in, in the early church. It always seemed to be focused around him. He survived them all. The early Christians, the early church, they had all kinds of storms. They were persecuted, uh, they were, their lives were, were, uh, and families were ripped apart because of their faith in Christ, but guess what? They survived those storms. Yeah. Anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? He had storms in his life, big ones. You should read his biography. It'll really encourage you. Big, big storms, storms that you and I just couldn't even begin to imagine. Imagine this prominent evangelist whose eldest son rebels spectacularly it's in all the newspapers it's in the media the great evangelist Billy Graham and then the prodigal son Billy Graham's son huge storm Billy Graham could have got angry he could have got bitter he could have disowned his son 
He could have gone on television or the newspaper and say, I renounce my son, and he is no son of mine. But no, you know what he does? Billy Graham makes his mind up to love his son and to live by the teachings of Christ. Let me, let me just remind you, folks, what the elementary teachings of Christ are. What is that rock that you're supposed to be building your life on? Well, I can sum it up in two commandments. And you know these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, can I remind you that your neighbor is the person who's sitting beside you right now? It's the people that you live with. These are your neighbors. It's the people that you live next door to. It's the people that you work with. These are your neighbors. And in fact, Jesus is calling you to love absolutely everybody. No exception. Sorry. You say, but a pastor says one is one. <laughs> my husband. <laughs> now, you, 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 sorry, you've got to love him too. <laughs> Yeah, but you don't know my boss. Oh, you know, boss from hell, that's him. No, you've got to love him too. You say, but he doesn't deserve my love. Of course not. That has nothing to do with it. How many know that today? And Jesus doesn't give any footnotes and any, any qualifiers here. He just says you've got to love. Plain and simple. And your mind might not be able to get around it, maybe can't, can't process all this, but Jesus is saying this, if you do what I'm telling you to do, you're going to be okay. Trust me, Jesus is saying. Just trust me. Trust me that I know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, you've got to love. No exception. You've got to forgive. No exception. This is radical Christianity. And yet Jesus says, if you will live your life on this foundation, if you'll base your whole life and everything you do on the foundation of love, you're going to have a good life. You're going to, you're going to be able to weather the storms. It's not going to be a problem. Your, your marriage is going to last. Your, your, your kids are going to continue to love you. Your kids are, are, are going to stay faithful to Jesus. They'll get themselves sorted out. Franklin Graham did. Billy Graham loved his son, and today, Billy Graham in his 90s watches with great joy and pride as his eldest son, who was the prodigal, is now the one leading his ministry. I wonder what would have happened had Billy Graham said, you know what, son, you don't deserve my love. I wonder what would happen today. I wonder if there would be any such thing as a Billy Graham Evangelistic Association anymore. I wonder if, if evangelism... If that evangelistic work would have come to a screeching halt, I think it would have. But you see, he weathered the storm because, he, listen, he chose to love rather, to, rather than doing what would have come naturally. And the thing that would have come naturally was to teach him a lesson, punish him. I'm going to show him. I'm going to humiliate him the way he humiliated me. I'm going to give him a little bit of his own. My friends, this is no part in the life of the Christian. Your job is to love the people in your life with all your heart, with all your heart, unconditionally. And I don't care how they let you down. Well, I do care about that, but, I'm, but when, it comes to, when it comes to the commands of Christ, there is no exception. And, and, and we have to say, you know, no matter what, we're going to love. We're going to love them. And by the way, it doesn't mean you're taken advantage of. It just means that you will, will continue to keep your heart open to them.
you will continue to love them and embrace them. You know, um, when I was just starting out in the ministry, I was only in the ministry maybe three or four years, and uh, some of you will remember this back uh, 20 years ago. Uh, you remember um, there was a minister by the name of Marvin Gorman. He was a, a major, major minister in the, in the, the southern states. And he, had a, he was a, one, of the, one of the leaders of the denomination, and he had a spectacular fall. And, um, and uh, he wasn't the only one. Right after that came Jimmy Swaggart. Anybody remember Jimmy Swaggart? He's still on the TV today. Another one had a major fall. He, had a, he, was, he was in a year he was bringing in, in about $250 million a year. Incredible receipts back in the 1980s for a ministry. And then Jimmy Swag or Jimmy Baker also had a fall, major fall. And I remember thinking, just four years into my ministry, all these men were the giants. They were the giants of the denomination. And I asked myself the question. I said, who's next? Me? <laughs> if they couldn't stand up, these giants, if they couldn't make it in the midst of the temptations, how many know today that temptations are torrents, temptations are floodwaters that threaten your foundation, that threaten you? If they couldn't stand up, will I be able to stand up? And in my devotions, I was praying and saying, God, you know, I don't want to go through that. I don't, I don't want to be humiliated like that. I don't want to have a spectacular fall like that. I don't want any part of that. And God said very clearly, clearly to me, Alan, you don't have to fall. This doesn't have to happen to you. And I read that passage in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 10, where, where Peter says to the Christians, look at, make sure, in, in essence, this is what he's saying, make sure that you, you've got your foundation on the solid rock of Christ's teaching. And if you do these things, you'll never fall. You don't, your marriage doesn't have to fall apart. You don't have to go through adultery. You don't have to go through fornication. You don't have to go through these things. But what you've got to do is you've you got to live your life on that solid rock. So here's what you've got to do, very simply. You've got to love God and you've got to love others. In other words, God's got to be number one in your life. There could be nothing and no one else other than him. And my friend, this is what makes the difference in your Christian life. This is what makes your life authentic. Listen to me. There's a lot of people out there who don't know Jesus and who do not, listen, they don't claim to be disciples. They don't claim to be Christ followers. But they look at us and they say, what a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you, I mean, you've heard it. And maybe someone said that to you. Oh, you're just a hypocrite. You know what makes us hypocritical? It's when we call Jesus Lord, but fail to put God first in our lives. We fail to do what Jesus says. This is what makes us hypocritical. Here's, here's the thing. When we call Jesus Lord and when we do exactly what he says, guess what happens? Quite the opposite. The, the, the opposite effect happens. People out there who don't know Jesus look at us and they say, you know, whatever you've got, I want it. Very rarely will you see people be neutral. They'll either say, I want what you've got, uh, or they'll say, man, you're, you're, you're a hypocrite. Now listen, uh, some of you may have heard of uh, Mother Teresa, and you've heard me mention her dozens, if not hundreds of times, because she is truly one of the great Christians in history. What did she do? She put into practice the teachings of Christ. Plain and simple as that. She put God first, 
and she put others first. She loved God and she loved others. And my friend, guess what? This has been the practice, or supposed to be the practice of Christians for thousands of years. Back in the second century, there was a young man by the name of Fortunus. He saw Rome being devastated by a horrible plague. And rather than, rather than running away, he stayed to care for these people who were dying of disease. Now what's remarkable is that all those, Fortunus was a Christian, but all those who were not Christians, all those who did not know God, all those who were pagan, they all left town. They ran for their lives. All the doctors were gone. But listen, the ones who stayed behind to care for those who were sick and dying in the midst of this horrible plague were the Christians. Before this, listen, this is amazing. Before this plague began, Christianity was still a relatively small cult, considered a cult. It was a relatively small group of people that would meet together and, uh, and hear and, and learn and study the teachings of Christ. But because it was Christians who acted in obedience to Christ's command to love, because they stayed behind, it was estimated that two-thirds of those people who would have died, their lives were spared because of the Christians. And immediately following that plague, that is when Christianity in Rome literally exploded. It took off. It became the major faith at work in that city. And you know it was just a short time after that that all of Rome became known as uh, well, very, part of the Holy Roman Empire. Now, I'm going to tell you this this morning. You and I, as radical disciples of Christ, when you and I obey Christ and do what he says, when we make up our minds that we are going to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we are going to love others no matter what, my friends, that's when miracles start taking place not just in our church, not just in our community, but in our own homes, in our own marriages, in our own families, in our own communities, in our workplace. This is radical discipleship. Build your, build your life on the teachings of Christ. Do exactly what he says, without exception. Not picking and choosing what parts you're going to follow and what parts you're not going to follow, but loving God with all your heart and loving others. And watch the miracles. I'm guarantee you, this is a promise. Watch the miracles that will take place in your life. Watch your family members come to Christ. Watch your boss begin to truly appreciate who you are and what you do. Now, there are uh, some of us this morning, and we can't ignore this, there are some of us this morning who, if we were totally honest, we'd have to say, you know what? My house has not got a solid foundation these days. In fact, I'm finding myself slipping. I'm finding myself being overwhelmed. Do you feel like that? You feel yourself being overwhelmed like you're not able to hold your ground. You feel like you're slipping. You feel like you're 
maybe you are slipping. Maybe you have slipped. Maybe this morning you're here and you're feeling a horrible load of guilt because you have you've been overcome. Your, your house has been washed away and, and you failed. You failed miserably. Well, here's the, here's the good news. First of all, I want you to know God does not condemn you. He loves you. But what he wants you to do is he wants you to get back on track. He wants you to get your foundation fixed on the solid rock, which is the teachings of Christ. Love God and love others. Would you say that with me? Love God and love others. This has to be the way that you live your life if you want to survive the storms of life. Today, some of us need to take a moment and say, God, forgive me for putting my job first. Is that you? Your career has come first. You were on fire for God. You're enthusiastic. You are thrilled about serving Jesus. And suddenly now your career has taken first place. Guess what? This doesn't make Jesus happy. This doesn't please him. It doesn't honor him. Jesus is calling you today to put him first in your life again. And the good news is that you can come to him and you can confess your shortcoming. You can confess your sin and say, God, forgive me. I'm setting myself, listen, I'm setting myself up for failure. I'm setting myself up for a fall. Today, can I invite you to get back on track and invite Jesus to be number one in your life? Put him first so that your walk with him is more important than anything or, or anyone else. Maybe you're here today and you have you've sinned against against somebody you're holding unforgiveness resentment bitterness in your heart jesus is giving you a warning today and i believe that this i believe that i believe that this message is according to god's timing how many believe that that's the way it works you're here today you're hearing this message and jesus is giving you a warning and he's telling you this right now get that relationship started up now Get rid of that relational debt, that relational sin now. Let go of that unforgiveness. Forgive. Because if you don't, the flood that's coming is going to overwhelm you. You're going to be in trouble. Now, can I just remind everybody, floods are going to come. It's not maybe, it's for sure. They come. Floods come. Even if they only come once every hundred years, they come. And remember we heard the, the flood of the century, and we won't see a flood like that again for another hundred years, and it happens a few years later, and apparently we're getting another one this spring. Has everybody heard that? Now, one of those people who in 1997 had their houses too low and hadn't taken proper precautions, I wonder if they've changed things. If they haven't, then Barry's company's going to have a lot of business coming up. <laughs> You've got, you got to make the move now before the flood comes. And here's the thing that happens to me as a pastor. I get people coming to me all the time. Pastor, the flood is overwhelming me. And I can only say one thing. You've got to get your foundation sorted out. That's why you're in trouble. You're not putting God first. I, you, know, you know what? I, I've been at this for so long that I don't even have to hear your story. All I have to look at is, is look at the circumstances you're in, and I can tell you what's wrong with your life. You've got to put Jesus first again, plain and simple as that. You've got to get rid of that unforgiveness in your heart. You've got to love. You've got to start reaching out to others. You've got to, you've got to let it go. 
My dad, back in 1967, I was five years old. I'm old. He, we bought our first house. It was a 60-year-old house. We moved into it, and lath and plaster, cracks, cracks. Dad got out the spackle, fixed it, and lasts for maybe a month or two, and it cracked again, cracked in the bedrooms, in the living room, kitchen, cracks, trying to fix this thing. And finally, one day, I can clearly remember this. He's frustrated through the, <laughs> through the spackle and, uh, and the, the, the spackle knives, threw him against the wall. I said, that's it. Ran down to the basement, started tearing it apart. And my mom, Lyle, Lyle, what's going on? What are you doing? What's... He said, the real problem in this house is a foundation. I remember that as a child, five years old. And dad went downstairs and started tearing that place apart, got rid of the old posts and put in the proper telepost, had the whole thing leveled, fixed the cracks in the foundation, firmed it up. And it solved the cracking problem. No more spackling, no more fixing cracked walls. I'm going to tell you something. If cracks are appearing in your life right now, cracks are appearing in your marriage, at work, in your own heart, you know what I'm talking about. You're doing things you never did before. You're saying things you shouldn't say. The cracks are showing up, and that's because you've got a foundation problem. You need to get back on track. You need to start doing what Jesus has called you to do. You need to start living the way Jesus has called you to live. You need to stop trying to patch those walls up because the real problem is the foundation. By the way, uh, do you know how we try to fix those cracks in our lives? Well, you know how. You go to see a psychologist, right? He's going to fix those cracks. Gonna go see, we're going to go talk to the pastor. The pastor's going to get it sorted out. If you come to this pastor, the, this pastor is going to tell you one thing that you need to do. You need to get your life on track. You, you, need to, you need to start doing what Jesus tells you to do. And by the way, come and talk to me about it. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to tell you how to get your life sorted out. And by the way, how many know today we all need help getting things sorted out, getting back on track? That's why you come to church. That's why you come to hear me preach. Because you need help getting, getting things sorted out. Well, I'm going to tell you something. This is, just consider this a great big counseling session. Put your feet up. <laughs> but don't close your eyes, please. <laughs> you need to get your life sorted out. You need to put Jesus first in your life again. And you need to start loving the people in your life. Because you can go to as many psychologists and counselors as you want. You can, you can buy the self-help books. You can, uh, you can go to seminars, and uh, you can try to maybe play the blame game. You know, if only he would change. If only they would change. My dad was different. My parents were different. You know that game. Yeah? Listen, don't, don't blame anybody, and don't try to fix it yourself. Just do what Jesus says. Live according to his teachings. Love God and love others. Let me just, uh, let me just tell you this in, in closing. Back in October 5th, actually October 5th, 2006, 
in a town called Nickel Mines in Pennsylvania. A man by the name of, of Charles Roberts burst into an Amish schoolhouse. And you, remember, you may remember this. It's only, only four years ago. He shot uh, ten girls at point-blank range, killing five, and then he shot himself. Does everybody remember that? The world was horrified. It's still horrifying to think of it. But that's not the end of the story. You see, uh, what happened next is that when it came time for Charles Roberts' funeral, the killer's funeral, the Amish families got wind of it, and they decided that as Christians, as people who followed the teachings of Christ, they felt that the right thing for them to do would be to go to that funeral of the killer of their little girls. And they went to that funeral because they read Jesus' teachings that say, mourn with those who mourn. They read the teachings of Christ that say, forgive those who hurt you, who persecute you. Forgive your enemies. And so contrary to what you and I might even want to do, they did what Jesus told them to do, and they went and showed love to the family of the killer of their little girls. The world looked on in total astonishment and amazement. And TV announcers said, this must be what Christianity is really all about. Astonished. This must be what Christianity is really all about. It took these poor Amish people to go through this tragedy and to practice true Christianity. It, it took that event for the world to learn what true Christianity was about. It's about forgiveness and about love. The money began to pour in for the families of those little girls that were, were murdered. And again, the Amish, these Amish Christians amazed and astonished the world by insisting that some of those funds that were sent in also be set aside for the care of the killer's family. Amazing. Now, I, I pray and I hope that you never have to go through anything that extreme, but I will say this to you this morning. If these Amish Christians, these Amish parents could forgive the killer of their little girls, don't you think that you could forgive the people in your life that maybe are making life a little bit miserable for you? Don't you think you could let that grudge go? Don't you think you could let that anger go? You know, many of us don't know how to react when things are difficult, when times are hard, simply because we don't know the teachings of Christ. We don't know what Christ expects of us. Can I challenge you this morning? 
If you haven't already done it, would you please get your Bible out and start reading it again? Start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start reading the letters, the words in red, those words in red which are the, 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 the words of Christ, and let them speak to your heart. My friends, the, the warning is this. If you, don't, if you don't live according to the teachings of Christ, then the next flood that comes your way is going to knock you off your feet. But if you do live by the teachings of Christ, then nothing can shake you. Nothing can move you. Nothing can bring you down. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to say thank you this morning for your hand upon us. We want to say thank you for the teachings of Christ, which are life to us, which is our security, which is our hope. God, you're calling us to stand on on the, the solid bedrock of the teaching of Christ to, to live that life which is pleasing and accepting, acceptable to you. You're calling us to love the people, all the people in our lives, and you're calling us to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And God, we know that when we do this, there's no flood, no storm, no difficulty that can take us down because we are rooted firmly on that solid rock. And we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. God bless.